Hey, everyone. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Maddie. I get to be the lead pastor here at Epiphany, and I get to take us into this brand new teaching series called The Theology of Love. Uh, before we do, though, I want to let you know something really big. Uh, we've set some goals for 2020, uh, some, some things that we're aiming towards as Epiphany Station, as a family, really to see more people embraced and reached uh, to know Jesus Christ than ever before. And to do that, it takes support and financial investment from the people who see the value of what Epiphany Station is doing. This week I was reading in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in which this guy called Paul, he's a church planter, he's a pastor, and he writes a lot about how the church gets to be the church and do church. And he said when it comes to money, the biggest thing to understand is money is about what's going on inside. It's something that really is about your willingness to do it and the joy you get from it. And if it is something that you do willingly and joyfully, then God actually receives that as worship. Now, that should be a great relief to many of us that have maybe felt, you know, pushed into giving or we felt burdened by it or we've even been burned by church before, is that giving is not just about your duty or guilt. Instead, it's supposed to be something that when God is big in your life, he will lead you to do that, to be able to give out of a willing place that is joyful. And really, we want to invite you, if you wish to, to be able to worship with your money. And so there's a few ways that you can do that at Epiphany. We have red boxes spread throughout the facility. We have a tablet in the corner that's connected to our secure online giving. And at any point at epiphanystation.com under the Give tab, you can set up your giving there. And it shouldn't be out of guilt. It shouldn't be out of duty. It should be out of a joy for what God has done in your life. And because you believe this place is doing something to embrace other people into the family of God here in our community. Now, like I said, today, brand new teaching series in theology of love. Now, theology, the word, simply means the study of God. Kind of boiled down, broken down. It's the study of God. And love, well, love is the word love. Love is something that we've all experienced in one way or another. A lot of experience in different ways, and maybe we would describe it in different ways. For some, love is that thing that gives you warm fuzzies or makes you feel safe and secure. For others, love can mean a previous heartbreak or a future worry. Maybe it's nostalgic memories or maybe it's hope for the future. But theology of love as a series, what we're going to do for four weeks is understand the connection that there is between God and love and why this matters to us. And so for the first two weeks of the series, we're going to talk about why we love God and why we love people. And then for the last two weeks of the series, very practically, how to love God and how to love people. We're focusing on these two things, loving God and loving people, because that's a big part of who we are, our DNA of Epiphany. But it's because Jesus said that these are the two most important things you could ever do with your life. Working these out, understanding these, and then practicing these. And I think that by the end of this teaching series, if you walk through it with us, you're going to see that love was maybe not what you were originally thinking it was. It is, in fact, something far better. It is more brilliant, far more beautiful. It is, in fact, something so much more miraculous than we often give it credit for. In a good teaching series, we tend to have a core text that we want to make sure that we're walking through, something that just begs to be unpacked and understood. And so we have that for this teaching series. And it's a letter written by a guy called John. And it's his first letter, so we call it First John. See how that works? And in chapter 4, verse 7, John writes about how the church is supposed to love, how we understand these things. He says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. 
But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, God had John write these things to provide some answers to the big questions of what love is, where it comes from, and how we can interact with it. We're going to chase some of these rather big claims throughout this series, that apparently God is love and love is God, and if God, you know God, then God, you know love, and you love God, and everything else can go from there. The big one we're focusing on today is the fact that it says that God said that he has shown his love. He has declared his love and that he, therefore, can be loved in return. That when we talk about why we love God, well, he's shown us that he loves us and that's how we would. And so how did, love, how did God show his love? And this gets me asking the question this week of, well, how do we show love to one another? Do you, like, do you know your go-to of how you tend to show love? Like, are you a gifts person? Do you like to say nice things to people when you love them? Do you serve them? Maybe you're very affectionate and physical. Maybe it's just about being close with people. Do you know how other people tend to, to love? And here's the biggest question. Do you know how people in your life want to be loved? Valentine's is literally around the corner. If you haven't worked out that, guys, you're in big, big trouble. We have to understand how we're loved and how other people want to be loved. Because... We need to know what genuine love actually is. The biggest thing about today is understanding that there is a genuine love, what actually is, but then there is a bunch of fake love too. And if we don't know what real love is, then we can be duped. And some of us have been. Love was pledged. Love was promised. And it turned out to be a knockoff. I know as a dad, I would love to be able to tell my kids, here is how you can tell if someone actually loves you. So they don't have to go through some of the heartbreak that we often do. But here's a claim that I have. I think that I know love. I think I do. I think I know it when I see it. And I know for a fact that a few people love me. My primary one is my wife. She loves me and I love her. My kids love me like all the way up until around bedtime. And then that thing just switches right off. (laughs) But, but, But the other person that I know that I know loves me is my mom. I am a mama's boy, and I do not deny it, and I am not ashamed of it. I'm the youngest of four boys. This is me and her about a decade ago. And what you can see there is the, just the pain in her eyes, because that's actually at my wedding day, and that's when she's handing me off to another woman, and she hated that with a fiery passion. I'm her baby, and I'll always be her baby. I know she loves me. And there's lots of things that I could point to and say, this is why I know she loves me. Like, for example, the fact that I'm stood here today is a reason I know she loves me. Because when she was pregnant and she was about to have her second child, which was me, she went and then told my dad, her husband, and he said, well, you may as well have an abortion because I'm leaving you for my secretary, which he promptly did. She decided not to get rid of me and she kept me and she was rewarded, honestly, she was rewarded straight out with a a beautiful little baby. It's not just, look at that, oh, it's my favorite little snowman toy there, yep. I also know that I could point to things like, well, she loved me because she provided for me. Man, she worked hard. Single mom of two. Got married a few years later to my stepdad, his dad, I've ever, the one only one I've ever known. And four boys 
worked hard, provided for us, wanted to give us the best that she never had. And these are the things I could point to and say, that's how I know. But I was just a little kid. I didn't really know what that meant. But there's a moment in my life that I point to again and again and say, that's how I know she loves me. About 17 years ago, I was a 16-year-old boy, and I have these very narrow sinus passages. It's why my American accent sounds a bit weird sometimes. And they get infected all the time. They've been drilled twice and whatever, but I get sinus infections just like every other month. And one time I got a sinus infection, and then it developed into something called septicemia. It's now known as sepsis. And apparently that's pretty bad, and it can kill you in a few days. Lo and behold. And so I got sepsis stupidly while my mom was on vacation. She was up in Scotland for a few days with her friend, and my dad was taking care of us. And I say taking care of us. He was a stonemason by trade. Taking care is not really in his remit. And so we decided, he and I, what we would do is we would tell my mom that it's not that bad, that I'm not that sick. You know, we'd lie to her, like smart people do. And otherwise, it would ruin her trip, and she'd come home. So for three or four days... I'm just throwing everything up, and I can't even get any food in. I've barely drank anything, and then my mom comes home. My mom's a nurse, so she walks in the door, and boom, she sees what's going on. I'm not just a little bit ill. She says, I'm at death's door, and I just remember, like, I saw her face. She was furious, and then in a moment, it just turned, and she had me in the car. She took me to the hospital. She beat up a doctor, I think, along the way and said, take care of my boy, And then within half an hour, I was actually being fast-tracked in an ambulance to another big city hospital. I was drifting in and out of consciousness, and I had four IV lines in wrists and in in, in the crook of my elbows. I remember, whoa, driving very fast. And then we get there, and the doctor says that he's got sepsis. Apparently, I learned this afterwards, he reckoned that if we'd left it another day, that he wouldn't have been able to get the poisoning under control, and I'd have been dead. What followed from that moment was seven days and nights in the hospital, pumping me full of powerful antibiotics and trying to manage the pain because there was pain. Like, it felt, I imagine, like just being stabbed in the abdomen, like for hours at a time, and I was just writhing. And I was just always sweating, and then I was either vomiting up medication or I was just dry heaving over and over and over again. And then came the moment when the doctor walked in and says, we're going to have to give him suppositories. I didn't know what that meant in the moment. If you don't either, don't Google it. Just ask someone. <laughs> Not me. And, and so all this comes to the end, and obviously I live, and all these things are great. And I could point to, like I said, several other things and said, that's how I know my mom loves me. But I, I point to this one. Because it gives her a great opportunity to hold it over me for the rest of my life and tell me that she loves me more than I love her, which is fair. It also is a very embarrassing story of how she once applied medication into my body. But I love this story because it's a love story. Because while I was writhing in pain, she was holding my hand. And while I was sweating and dry heaving, she was mopping my brow and holding a sick bucket for seven days straight. And there was no furniture in the room in the hospital we're in. So she would sit overnight on the cold hospital room floor holding my hand because I was scared. That's how I know my mom loved me. Because love is only love when it's proven. It's only love when it's actually shown to exist. And it only is ever shown in those moments of sacrifice. 
Love in its very nature and its very core is sacrificial. It, it asks something of us when we love. It takes something from us, whether we like it or not. We have to be willing to give something. It costs us something. We have to shed something for love. It might be comfort, it might be privilege, it might be right. But the greatest expressions of love that we give across culture is a mother for a child, it's a husband for a wife, it's a friend for a friend, when they give up something of themselves for another. Love is sitting on a hospital room floor because your baby boy is scared. So we come back to the question, how do we know God loves us? Because he claims to have shown it. And when he claims that he loves us, I think he actually meant it. So how do we see the proof of his love? We go back to John's first letter. Because he says that God showed how much he loved by sending his one and only son into the world. So that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is his big claim on how much the magnitude of his love for you is this. That there was a necessary sacrifice to take away something he calls sin. Now sin, sin is the worst part of you. Sin is you at your sickest. It is you at your worst. Sin is the decision that we often make to do anything other than what we were created to do. That we decide that we're going to love something other than God and people. And so that moment that we take selfishness, pride, arrogance, wrath, and we make those a part of who we are, that's us in sin. And sin divides us from each other and it divides us from God. It actually separates us and removes us from him. And if our lives end with that separation in place, then it becomes permanent. It becomes eternal. And we have a name for that. It's called hell. And God can't seem to think of anything worse for you than being eternally separated from him and his love and his goodness and his protection and his rest and his joy. And so every time we sin, every time we choose to reject him, God would be well within his rights to reject us back. But for some reason, he chooses not to. Instead, he chose before, during, and after sin to show how much he loved you. That he'd be willing to do anything at your sickest, at your worst, while you're rejecting him to give you a way to come back to him. He sent Jesus into the world. Because the punishment for every single one of our sins is that we would be separated from him. And we'd feel that. So he sent Jesus to pay a penalty, a payment, a sacrifice. He became the bridge over the gap. And so he experienced crushing, desperate separation from God when he was killed for it on the cross. That right there is how God showed his love for you. That while you had nothing to offer, nothing to give, and even had no love for him in the first place, he said, I love you, and you can come back to me. This is real love that he loved first. That's how we know he loved us, and that's why we would ever love him. It's why I love him, because he loved me first. This is the foundation. It's the very theology of love is that God went first that he made the move, that he pulled the trigger, and that he laid his cards on the table. 
And that now everything he's ever tried to do in your life is to tell you what you need to know most. It's what you and your family and everyone in here and everyone out there needs to know. That your God is the type of God that will wait patiently at your sickbed, cleaning up your messes, waiting for you to wake up. I don't know if you know why you're here today. Maybe you walked in here because it's the last roll of the dice. Often I find people do that at Epiphany. It might be that you're here because somebody dragged you here. It might be here because that's just kind of your routine. You kind of come here now and again. But I know that you are here because God wanted you to hear about his love for you. He wanted you to know that he has done everything that he can to let you know that you're loved by him and that you get to accept that. You get to receive that offer of relationship from him if you wish because he won't promise and he won't force it. And so the great moment is the great pinnacle, the great practical challenge for you and for us is can we truly accept that to be true? Can we trust in God's love? Can we see what he says he did in Jesus and say, yeah, that proves it. Because all of your life is centered around what he did through Jesus Christ. And so I don't know where you're at with him. I don't. I don't know where you're at in your journey. Maybe at one point, You had placed your trust in God's love. Maybe it's drifted. Or maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you're not interested at all. But the challenge for us when we talk about loving God and loving people is to take a step in doing it. This morning, I want to invite you, if you wish to, I'm going to take a moment here to pray. I want to invite you to pray along with me. Because as I do, I'm going to be praying for the very thing that God says we need accepting some of the things that he said about me and you when it comes to sin and asking for his forgiveness. And if you want to, you can pray quietly, you can pray silently. God knows the motivation of our hearts. Prayer is that simple connection, communication with him. And so if you want to agree with me, you can. And you can start and take that step of accepting and trusting in God's love. Would you pray with me? God, this is me. I am seeing that something is wrong or that something is missing or or broken and you call it sin and for some reason that maybe I don't even fully understand that I'm, I'm separated from you and I can feel it so God I want to put my trust in you today based on what you did through Jesus and how much you sacrificed to prove your love I want to ask you to forgive me for my sin to make me one of your kids. God, I want you to be my king. I want you to be my Lord and I want you to be my greatest love. If you agree with me, you can say amen. Amen. That right there, it's it's what we call a threshold moment. It's just like a preliminary step in which we start to understand why we're even here in the first place. If you've never had that kind of conversation with God before in which you accept your sin and accept his forgiveness and love, then I want to congratulate you if you did that because that's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your entire life. We've seen the value over the years of when people are moving on their spiritual journey of how we can just have conversations with them to come alongside them and help them take those steps together. So if you're in that place, if you want to move closer to God, to love him and to love people better and better, we would love to be able to help you do that. That's why we exist. As Millie pointed out as you walked in, that's why we have our connection card on the program. If you'd be willing to, you can jot a name and a detail. 
You can put whatever you want on there, but there's a specific section that says, I'm ready to put my trust in Jesus. Or maybe I want to learn more about Jesus. I really want to highlight those today, and if you're willing to, you can take those, you can tear it off, drop it in a red box. And as we wrap up the worship experience here, you're going to see how there's going to be an opportunity for you to come up front. And if you desire, you can drop it in one of the two red boxes up front, or our prayer team at the very end of the experience is going to be here. If you're in a place where you're taking those steps today, maybe you've taken it already. Maybe you actually are not ready to take that step. Then maybe you would find a place at DTC, at our discipleship training class, a New Life 101 that starts this Monday, where you can learn more and more about what God has said about his promise and his proof of his love. Right now, as we wrap up this worship experience, we get to do something special together. We're going to take communion. Communion is something that Jesus' followers do because Jesus said to his followers to do it. Communion, very simply, is something that we do to remember the magnitude and the depth of God's love through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Right before Jesus was actually taken to be killed, he gave out the first communion. He gathered his believers together, his followers together, and this is what he did. He said he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, This cup is the new covenant, the new agreement between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. That's what communion is. Communion is remembering and is accepting that love that God has put on display for you the greatest thing you could ever know. And so if you wish to take communion with us this morning, it's quite simple. On the corners of the stage, we have juice, which is not alcoholic, and we have bread and a gluten-free option for bread. And if you desire to, as the team leads in a song of worship, you can head up the center aisles. You can things. You can grab those things. You can drop your connection cards in the red box at the time if you want. And then via the side aisles, just take it back to your seats, and you can take it whenever you want. We would have you take a moment, just sit in it for a while, have a conversation with God about what it truly meant for him to sacrifice for you, to show you his love. Let's worship together.